You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 543, the renaissance of Janet Jackson, Spotify, is the moral high ground a hill worth climbing? And BBC Three is back, but so is Nadine Dorries. That's all coming up after the hives, and hate to say I told you so. I love that track because it fits the perfect narrative of a post-punk single. The drums and the bass come in at exactly the right moment. Perfect 
Swedish power pop. Number 86 on Billboard, 23 over here in the UK in 2002. The hives and hate to say I told you so. I love that. I completely agree with you. It's such a such an addictive sort of blast of a record. <laughs> and uh, that it was introduced to the British public. Uh, they were they were on um, Alan McGee's much maligned pop tones label, mm. which for every miss it did have the occasional hit. And the hives was very much that. They were always just on the right side of ridiculous. The hives, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they're, uh, you know, they're, they're matching uniforms, howling yeah. Pele, the singer, who would often go off into slightly strange diatribes uh, yes. when, they, when they were playing live. Um, I love the fact that they have a song called The Hives of Law, You a Crime. I think that is that is ridiculous <laughs> and brilliant. And they were introduced over here in the UK. They'd had a couple of albums beforehand. They brilliantly titled Veni Vidi Vicious and also Fairly <laughs> Legal. And uh, they there was one, there was a compilation over here which was called... Um, your new favourite band, which was basically the best of the first two albums and the AKA IDIOT EP. Um, uh, Pop Tones licensed them from um, another label. So I think that's such a, it was such a great mm. way of sort of introducing them. So the what feels like the Hives debut album over here is in fact a sort of a Hives greatest hits. And I think Hey, just how I told you so. It's one of those songs where I think it's got a really long tail. So when you said it only yes. reached sort of the 20s over here in mm. the UK and only 84 on the Billboard Hot 100, yet you will probably hear that song at some point within the next month, I would predict, mm. on TV because it always seems to it seems to, to it seems to have overtaken song two by blur as alex <laughs> james once put it the song that people play when they want to show something going fast and i think that i think that blur made enough money off song two that they don't let their stuff be licensed very much anymore so i think that hate to say i told you so kind of falls into that sort of sports style vibe i think so i bet that if you if you hear that song now you'll probably hear it again unwittingly within the next few weeks well, hello and welcome to Parish Council, episode 543. I'm Terence Stackham and here's the Sue Gray of the Parish Council. It's Juliet Harris. Yes, we were slightly late recording today because we were somewhat, somewhat actually waiting for me. So, yes, I, yes. I am the person who everyone is waiting for. Um, we're still sort of waiting for Sue Gray, aren't we? I think we she's are. going to become one of those um, one of those recurring characters in soap where just when you think that, you know, just when you think that she's buried under some floorboards, she will pop up once <laughs> again to cause trouble around her. Hello, everyone. Janet Jackson has always seemed to be the type of person who keeps herself to herself. Yeah. So initially, it was a bit of a surprise when she co-produced with her brother, Randy Jackson, a four-part documentary series about her life. But it soon becomes clear that she wants to put the record straight on a number of issues. There have been a number of peculiar stories and rumours about Janet Jackson over the years, including that she had a secret baby with James DeBarge. That's and this and other stories yeah. are addressed directly in this documentary. Jules, you've watched the first episode of the Janet Jackson documentary this week. How much of the real Janet did we get to see? I think we saw quite a lot of it actually. I really liked this documentary. I like you. I I I didn't have much familiarity with her, although interestingly, I mean, so she was always sort of around and about when I was growing up, particularly in the nineties. She had some huge albums then. And 
so it wouldn't have been i'm trying to remember what it would have been now it would have been time's taken on very odd properties in the last couple of years but it would have been the last normal christmas 2019 2020 on new year's eve slash new year's day because it was very much 2am by that point the bbc show was showing a on bbc2 they showed a compilation of glastonbury performances from that year and janet jackson had played at glastonbury that year oh, i've forgotten that entirely exactly and to some amusement at the time online she appeared to have doctored the Glastonbury poster when she was when she was sharing it so that her name appeared first on the top line oh, rather than six six. yeah bless her indeed but my then partner and I were watching it and and you know both of us knew of Janet Jackson and after about 15 minutes my partner said this is really good isn't it and I went yeah it's fantastic and we were sort of taken by surprise and there's always there's often been a bit of criticism that she that she doesn't have the world's greatest singing voice but then having said that it works for what she uses it for Janet Jackson is a phenomenal dancer like absolutely Mm. phenomenal we didn't see very much of that in this but I I very much enjoyed it because I got the impression that she is trying to tell her story, a story that has been repeatedly told by other people or through other people as well. And it was actually very moving to see her and Randy go to their childhood home that was tiny. I mean, they really did come from a very humble background in lots of ways it was interesting they had the next door neighbor there how people have protested when a black family were moving to the neighborhood you got a really big sense of sort of how just how odd some aspects of their childhood were the bizarre figure of the father is is you know loomed large throughout i thought that janet jackson seemed she seemed very sweet, actually. And what was quite interesting was, and I don't know why this was, but she didn't seem to have much in the way of memories. So so Randy was having to explain to Indeed. her everything that had happened in their childhood, why that was and whether that was a conscious choice. I don't know. But she came across as a very dignified woman. There was a very moving moment early on where they, they drive past the mural of the brothers when they go back to Gary, Indiana, where they're from. And... It was you just get the impression that there is there's so much under the surface, I think, with Janet Jackson. There's there's she's I still got the impression that while she was a genuine person, that there's something she's still trying to draw a curtain over. I don't know. I only saw the first episode, so I don't know if we'll see things in more detail as the as the series goes on. But I, I just I thought it was such an interesting, often quite moving both happy and sad I think insight into their childhood and her growing up although towards the end of the first episode you get the impression that she's not really in control of her career really she's given songs that she doesn't written that she doesn't really want to sing that you know the the album cover is not the one she wanted you know she's she's made to do tv programs because her father thinks she should she has to go on fame and all that kind of stuff and of course the terribly sad story of her marriage to James DeBarge as well which she's quite self-aware as well and that the kind of people mm. that she's attracted to are people that tend to want to do drugs i mean it's it's I, I i really enjoyed this i thought i thought it was a very it was very soberly done it was it was interestingly directed as well and when i had looked to see who it was that had directed it it was directed by um by this chap called mcdonald um is it was directed by um Kevin MacDonald, whose pedigree is incredible, really, particularly documentaries. Um, Touching the Void was his. Um, the film's The Last King of Scotland. 
the film version of State of Play, the Whitney Houston documentary, Whitney. I mean, he's done some incredible mm. work. And his brother was the producer on Trainspotting. So um, so quite a, quite a pedigree from his background as well. But no, I, 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 I was rather gripped by this when I didn't expect to be. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I enjoyed it very much as well. I think this film has been beautifully made right from the opening sweeping shot of Gary, Indiana on the shores of Lake Michigan. I... Um, I, I sort of wanted to find out a bit more about Gary Indiana, and it's because yeah. it looked like from that that sweeping shots from above from a drone, potentially a really beautiful area, but now suffering, I suppose you'd say, the haunting loss of the steel industry. And I looked it up in 2019. Business Insider magazine ran a poll, and Gary, Indiana, was decreed to be decreed to be the most miserable city in all of the United oh, States. Which oh, is that's not good. Which is a thing, isn't it? And I mean, it did look a bit rough. The areas when Janet and Randy, yeah. as you say, they visited their childhood home where nine adults and two parents lived in a home. And now I jotted this down, measuring 670 square feet with two bedrooms. So the six boys. Yeah, shared, shared two room. bunk beds and the three girls slept on the couch in the live tiny as you said tiny mm. living room um which was you know it was a very odd way to grow up but you know it, it is what it what it was what it was i suppose because this was a family production we had access to family members we never yes. usually hear from so we had Absolutely. 91 year old Catherine <laughs> jackson who, who you know, we'd heard she'd had strokes and so on but she was perfectly uh she articulate didn't, it, didn't she yeah yeah and sister reby who i found we never really hear from her she was particularly interesting and candid i think yes i thought so yeah i, I just wanted to address that issue of Joe Jackson, because you're so right to highlight that. When we've often heard that the father, Joe Jackson, was a, you know, a brute for mm. pushing them too hard, and all family members left him in terms of career management as soon as they could. Yes. But here, Janet describes him as a good-hearted guy. So who knows? But on the other hand, I noticed one thing I picked up was that Randy Jackson, when walking around wherever with Janet... Randy kept referring to him as your father to Janet and not mm -hmm. our father, which I thought yeah, was, that was That was a very weird thing. Also, there was a rather moving moment where Janet was talking about the um, sort of other kids' relationships with their fathers mm. and how she didn't, there was something she wanted from her father that she never got, if you yes. see what I mean. So it was clearly... I, and actually, for all, I think Janet Jackson is a is a complex woman, I think, because I think mm. that so, so many strange things have happened around her that that you and also the fact that her and Randy and Michael were also close is the kind of the, the, the younger cohort of people. The fact they seem to work in threes, the nine kids, yes. um, and, you know, and it did make me think you know, when she got upset at the beginning, it did make me think, God, you know. An awful lot has happened in Janet Jackson's yeah. life that, you know, particularly the Michael Jackson stuff that, that you know, is horrifying, but also for years was reduced to a sort of a tabloid joke. And it did mm. make me think that when all that when we have all that discourse around that, it's easy to forget that there are real people involved at the, at the heart of this who odd and it feels like she had so much to deal with really and i'm not that surprised that she made poor romantic choices because when you grow up in an atmosphere which is oppressive and there's something that you're sort of missing it's 
I, you know, it was it was really interesting, and I, I hope to try and watch the rest of this series because it looks really good. Yes, I will as well. There was one, um, I suppose, a yeah, sad moment um, that, that has kind of stuck with me since we we both watched this earlier in the week, and it, it's um, uh, an archive footage um, showing Janet being interviewed when she's I don't know, let's say sixteen, seventeen, and she's clearly an uncertain and shy young woman, but she suddenly gets very excited because she's being interviewed maybe mtv i'm not sure she tells an interviewer um he says oh you know you're doing well it's your first record it's doing quite well and he says oh yes but i'm going to go to college and study business law and of course her father then intervened and signed her to a&m records and Mm -hmm. she never got to do that and it was just quite sad seeing this bright young thing suddenly burst into excitement of what she was going to do with her life and then do nothing like it at all yeah um, really sad yeah it's a splendid documentary it's available in the states um on lifetime and a and e and in the uk on sky documentaries but elsewhere around the world of course you'll have to google availability coming right up it's the spotify wars but who (laughs) will be the victor um that's next right after all good joni mitchell
there might be some platforms where you can't hear Joni Mitchell, but be assured that you will always hear her around and about these shores. Uh, that was Joni Mitchell was Help Me. Um, yes, and um, well, it's simply one of the greatest albums of all time, yes. Court and Spark, and part of that wonderful run of Blue, Court and Spark, Hissing of Summer Lawns and Hegira that just can't be bettered, I think, in pop, stroke, rock, whatever, folk history. Absolutely wonderful and a great choice. Um, now, if I came downstairs one morning in anticipation of Toast and the Telegraph crossword, <laughs> wow, it did. It's, it's, it's an exciting life, I think. Times around your place. Yeah, yeah, it's just one f- festival and carnival after another. Um, so I come downstairs and say I found Joni Mitchell and Neil Young in my house, mm. rifling through my vinyl records and my CDs. Obviously, I'd probably gasp somewhat with surprise. And if they explained that their record label had signed someone they didn't like or whose views they don't share, and as a result, they'd come into my house to remove all their recordings from my shelves in order to protest at their record company's conduct, I might find that intrusive. And of course, the point is, it's only going to hurt me, not their target. So, Jules, as the removal of the music of Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, Graham Nash, an increasing number of artists, but a small number, but very influential ones, mm. um, amongst others from, from Spotify, is really that removal is only really going to cause problems for fans purely because they don't like a podcast by a bloke called Joe Rogan. Why should these artists get any support from me? I say, I, I, now, this is a subject where I can almost predict that we might not quite agree, although I have given this quite deep thought. So, um, and, and you know, apologies in advance, but we often return to the idea of free speech around these parts because it seems to become a, a, an increasing issue across our societal discourse, I think. Now, to sort of give a little bit of a of a window into this, the 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 person that 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 seemed the antagonist in this <laughs> is him, which in, in, and I mean that I mean you could you could oh I agree with you he <laughs> is yeah, yeah he he is in every meaning of in every sense of the meaning of the word the antagonist is a chap called Joe Rogan who I hadn't heard of until about Me six too. months ago so so but he seems to have um he's a he's a podcaster um he seems to he must be a rogue then well he's Exactly. I mean, you know, the, the fact that you're that you're all willing to put up with listening to us shows that there's clearly a, a, an audience for various kinds of rubbish. Anyway, he's uh, he's a, a, so who is Joe Rogan? I think is the question. So he's an American podcaster. According to Wiki, he's a podcaster, ultimate fighting championship color commentator, meaning that he's just sort of there for background on it. Um, a comedian, actor, and a former TV presenter. His podcast that launched in 2009 is called the Joe. Rogan Rogan experience. Um, it, it discusses topics such as current events, politics, philosophy, comedy, and hobbies with a variety of guests. You think, oh, that sounds quite good. I quite like the sound of that. It sounds great. Um, it seems to have become one of these people that increasingly, and this is by no means uh, sort of uh, peculiar to Joe Rogan, seems to be one of these people that's realised that being controversial for the sake of it is something about which you can make a lot of money. He is um, very, he was very um, interesting. He describes himself as a social liberal, saying that he supports same-sex marriage, gay rights, women's rights, recreational drug use, universal healthcare and universal basic income, but also supports gun rights and the Second Amendment. So there's a lot going on in Joe Rogan's views he's not necessarily a stereotypical sort of you know 
right it's sort of a heavily right wing gun nut there's a lot more to him than necessarily being you know be, being just like that however the the big issue that that seems to have got everybody rolled is the fact that on the joe rogan experience he's gone very not just anti-lockdown necessarily but he there are he's giving airtime to a number of conspiracy theories around public health information to do with COVID. Um, there's a, a good piece on the Rolling Stone, which kind of uh, website, which sort of unpacks some of the issues. Um, so we've got someone here called Jessica Malati Rivera, who's an infectious disease epidemiologist and a research fellow at Boston's Children's Hospital. And um, she debunks health misinformation on Instagram. She's got 380,000 followers. So she's got a big kind of voice in that sort of thing. Um, um, she had an she had an episode that the Joe Rogan Experience sent to her, and then they had an interview with Dr. Robert Malone, who is a, a virologist who touts himself as one of the architects of mRNA technology. Um, Malone's been banned from Twitter for promoting COVID-19 misinformation. And to be honest, if you get banned from Twitter, their threshold is very, very low for who they ban. So you must be pretty bad if you get banned from Twitter. Um, there are... Malone has rather um, described as various conspiratorial and baseless beliefs. I mean, don't we all have that as our philosophy? But anyway, they say that, you know, he's got this idea that mass formation psychosis is responsible for people believing in the efficiency of vaccines. Um, they claim that uh, this popular claim amongst anti-vaxxers that hospitals are financially incentivized to falsely diagnose COVID-19 deaths. Now, the problem with all this is, even if those aren't Joe Rogan's views, he's giving a platform to these people. Joe Rogan's podcast, by the way, is by far and away the most popular podcast on on Spotify. It might it might well be that it was popular initially, not because of you know the mix of other stuff that it had on it. It sounds like it's been a very varied program, but is now going down this sort of weird route. There have been various issues with Joe Rogan's racism, and interestingly, the Spotify boycott. The people that are sort of jumping jumping on the bandwagon why not let's use that phrase alongside sort of neil and joni india Irie, a rather nice singer from some time ago now has actually said you know i'm i'm joining this boycott not necessarily for the same reason that everyone else was initially but because he's made some bridge has made some really unpleasant racist comments and also spotify is a platform which does not treat the artists on it with respect it plays it pays perilously low rates to artists for their for their music and the use of their music i mean yes if you're someone like neil young or Joni mitchell it does pay i think neil young said it made 60 percent of his income i think or something yeah. it was a huge a huge contribution so in a way i admire the bravery of neil young for pulling um it's a difficult one isn't it because i i absolutely get and i know that you're very committed to the principle of free speech and i completely mm -hmm. agree but where it starts to become a bit problematic is if people can say if people can lie about things that are or spread misinformation but i think it is spreading lies i'm i'm you know i'm willing to publish and be damned in this respect if people are spreading lies about something that is so fundamentally important i think that 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 you know vaccines have prevented death on a on an immense scale as far as this is concerned we have so much evidence to prove that that is the case and i worry about uh, 
yes, I worry about, you know, the, is it fair that these, you know, that the, the everyone pulls their music because Joe, you know, Joe Rogan isn't allowed to, to say what he says. I, I can understand that. But equally, I worry about what happens if we have people in our lives that are, that are younger, people in our lives that are perhaps vulnerable, that are in a, a not great place mentally of where they are in their lives. And they, they listen to things like this and they go down a route that is that is ultimately damaging to them. We've seen various stories in the news about um, particularly men, I think, of a certain age who won't take the vaccine, have got very into these sort of conspiratorial websites. So not just Joe Rogan, but things like Joe Rogan and have consumed them and won't take the vaccine. And every single one of these stories, and I've read, you know, double figures of these stories across different news outlets. And they all have the same pattern, which is there is a child being interviewed, usually an adult daughter, who says, we all begged him to have the vaccine. He wouldn't have it. He would always, you know, share these posts from Facebook, say he'd heard this on this podcast. The person goes into, the, the man goes into hospital. The man ultimately dies because of COVID and at the end of their life expresses deep regret that they've they've gone down this, this path. Now, yes, it is. It, it was their choice and it was their decision making to listen to those things. I just, I find it really worrying Yes, it is worrying when we have a society when we're not allowed to say what we want to say. But equally, I think there's a difference between expressing an opinion on something and using a platform that you have that is a massive platform to spread stuff that is not only untrue, but potentially harmfully untrue to other people. I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't know what the answer is to this. So having said that, Spotify are not a pleasant company. They haven't been nice to the to the artists that they've, you know, they, they, the, the, the monopoly that they've had over the streaming market and how little of that trickles down to the artists that produce their work in a way if this does cause major problems for Spotify, that is perhaps an, an added benefit to it, I think, really. I'm trying to focus on that rather than the other thing. And actually, for all that you may not agree with with jo- jo- Neil Young and Joni Mitchell pulling their things, and I'm sorry that we've now got to invite them to your house so that you can hear their music rather than listening <laughs> to them on Spotify. I'm sorry for that. But equally, freedom of speech works both ways. And it is totally up to them to pull their music if they want. And actually, weirdly... I do admire Neil Young for this, partly because, yes, he's in a position to do to be able to afford to do so. But he is taking that hit. And I think, well, you show the courage of your convictions. And also, interestingly, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell's music, which we both love, has always been very much about having integrity and very much about being socially aware and having a social conscience. So actually them doing this completely fits with who they are and completely fits with their sort of philosophy really i'm sorry that people can't listen to their music on spotify although and this is not a snipe at you terence i promise but part of me and and you own all their music anyway but part of me thinks part of me thinks you know well if fans are disappointed why not try buying some music instead of renting it for very small amounts and then you'll get to hear them anyway so i don't know i'm trying to be as calm as possible about this but for me the main issue is i worry about the spreading of misinformation the impact that has upon vulnerable people and i think that we have a duty as a society to look after our most vulnerable i'm not saying that's easy to balance against freedom of speech but i think that it's something that we need to at least try and grapple with and give thought to even if i don't quite know what the answer is yeah, yeah, I mean, I I'd say a little, little bit more, more about um, responsibility and um, freedom of speech in a moment. But, but I think but both of us will probably smile at this because um, 
Joe Rogan in, in, in the grand tradition of explanatory or apology videos has done himself no favours at all by mm. telling us in this video <laughs> yeah. how much he loves Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, especially her song Chucky's in Love. He says on this video. So, yeah, clearly he's a big I mean, fan. I was going to say, I, I'm thinking that, that that just in case anybody, without being sort of smugging, if anyone doesn't know, that is not a song by Joni Mitchell. That no. is a song by Ricky Lee Jones. Exactly. So, and he actually published this video and it's still up in his apology video, how much he loves Joni Mitchell and her lovely song, Chucky's in Love. Anyway, <laughs> it is hilarious. That kind of undermines. We, might, we might not necessarily be dealing with an intellectual giant. No, I no. do. I do. I think this is man has gone a long way on his mouth rather than his yes. brain i think no you're right i'm always very wary of people telling me i'm not allowed to listen to or read someone else's point of view joe rogan not so well known outside of the united states no, very true. little known here in the uk i believe i've never listened to his podcast i no. know you haven't either but i don't want somebody else neil young or Joni, even trying to stop me from listening if i wish to and I mean, largely, it seems Rogan interviews people, some of whom have unusual theories, but by some standards. Well, some that are, that are actually provably false, I think. I Absolutely. I, I, again, I wouldn't doubt that at all. Provably false. But why can't he do that? And why can't Spotify broadcast the podcasts if it wishes? Stick a warning on it if you must, but don't censor it. And if people don't like Joe Rogan, take it up with Joe Rogan and not Spotify, because Spotify is a publisher, just like The Guardian or The Times. And if The Guardian prints a story about Donald Trump or Nigel Farage, is The Guardian to blame for their views? Should Neil Young get involved? Obviously I, not. I think it's slight. I, I have a, I'd have, I, I largely agree with that, but I take slight issue with it in that. Well, firstly, often you will have the Guardian will, will publish or, or whichever paper will publish things. Oh, yeah. it, they'll either report it as news, so they'll report facts as news, or they will perhaps editorialise, so they might place something in context. I think the issue is is that, and, and I think it's very telling, actually, given how Spotify are, that it is only now that Spotify are adding warnings to all of their COVID contents, uh, the COVID sort of podcast stuff. And I just find it quite interesting that Spotify have only started behaving responsibly around this once everyone has kicked up a massive stink which does make me think there is some value to doing things like that because it it's only by doing that that it takes these huge as you said they are publishers but equally they can make decisions editorial decisions about what they publish and what they don't it's it's you know they, they're not forced to publish everything spotify can make decisions over what they wish to give a platform forgive me for being perhaps even slightly rude but, but, but I, I find should... that hard to believe of you <laughs> yeah, i know never but why that. should spotify only publish um, people that you agree with. Well, but then having said that, I don't think it's a case of me disagreeing with Joe Rogan. I mean, to be fair, I I think that I might, from what you've said about him claiming that a song by Joni Mitchell is by Ricky <laughs> Lee Jones, I might find part of his podcast quite entertaining, albeit perhaps not in the way that <laughs> it ended. But um, I think that there is, and this is the difference here, and I think that this is the, this is the debate that, 
brings in the whole what we've been experiencing around COVID and the vaccines and science, the difference between opinion and fact. And when you are misrepresenting facts of public health and express it as an opinion, I think that there are some things that are facts. There are some things that are true. And I don't want to turn into Donald Trump going on about fake news spelt mm. with four O's or any of that sort of thing. But I, I do think that it's not a case of me agreeing with stuff. I mean, you know, the, I, I suspect I don't agree with a lot of Joe Rogan's opinions on things. I don't mind that at all. There are I do occasionally listen to things that I don't agree with and enjoy them very much. I think it's just the, dan the danger around these conspiracy theories, giving a platform to them, and not not so much, you know, oh, I you know, I don't agree with X, Y, Z spreading misinformation about public health that is potentially very dangerous and has consequences that results in people's death. I, I am uncomfortable with that. And I think it is worth remembering that there is a difference between opinions and facts. And it is very easy to paint things with a broad brush and just sort of say, oh, free, and I'm, this is not a pop at you, but just to say, oh, freedom of speech. Um, for me, sometimes shrugging, shrugging shoulders and saying, oh, well, everyone should be able to say what they want to, freedom of speech weirdly it's often pre presented as a sort of a sign of strength and i occasionally find it to be a sign of weakness i think i think there needs to be a more of an engagement as to what this actually means rather than just saying oh it's really important for you to say what they want yeah it is but if it causes dangers to others i think it needs a little bit more nuance behind it okay i'm i'm, I'm not sure i fully agree with that but we'll give, <laughs> that's the last word on it for now because of the, the time element uh, we, may, we may pop back to this in future yes. events, and, and you can express more more views and so can i and isn't that, isn't that exactly. beautiful that we have this freedom of speech please don't ban us itunes <laughs> coming right up pinch yourself it's real nadine dorries is secretary of state for digital culture media and sport oh man and <laughs> what else can you say is it a big welcome back for BBC Three? That's next after David Sylvian. Standing firm on this stony ground, the wind blows hard, pulls these clothes around. I harbor all the same worries as most, the temptations to leave or to give up the ghost. I wrestle with now the gone light that shifts between darkness and shadowy light I struggle with words for fear that they'll hear But Orpheus sleeps on his back, still dead to the world Sunlight falls, my wings open wide, there's a beauty here I cannot deny Bottles that tumble and crash on the stairs Are just so many people I knew never cared Down below on the wreck of the ship Are a stronghold of pleasures I couldn't regret But the baggage is swallowed up by the tide As Orpheus keeps to his promise And stays by my side I've still a lot to learn understand These fires never stop Believe me 
Just one of my favourite tracks of all time. Mm, I can't really explain, but there's a special place in my heart for Japan, yes, but particularly David Sylvian. This is a single that didn't chart, taken from the 1987 album Secrets of the Beehive, mm. David Sylvian and Orpheus. Yes, I, I hadn't heard that for some time and I was delighted to hear it again. So thank you for sharing. Well, in terms of uh, conservative sections of state for culture, it was weird enough when Nicky Morgan and then Oliver Dowden were given the role, each apparently with no knowledge or experience exactly. in the relevant areas. But then step forward the current incumbent, Nadine Dorries, who seems to have taken the role with the most zealous ambition to mm. reform the BBC and the way it's funded. Jules, um, Nadine Dorries feels that the BBC must, and I've got a quote here, addressed issues around impartiality and groupthink, uh, end of quote. And there are indications that this government would like to see the BBC funded by alternative means. Now, I don't expect you to stand very close politically to Nadine Dorries, but does she have a valid point about the future of the BBC? 
It's, I think the problem with this is is that Nadine Dory's public interviews on, on news things have been increasingly bizarre, frankly, mm-hmm. and increasingly strange. It is difficult... It's difficult to, to find anything coherent in the Dean Doris kind of expression of things. It just she feels like much in this government at the moment, she feels like a sideshow. This whole thing feels like a bit of a sideshow. And everything that this government does in terms of policy at the moment, because it is in such trouble generally, feels like a sort of a distraction. It mm. feels like it feels like sort of, you know, oh well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try and, you know, be provocative in some other direction to distract you from the fact that everything is in a complete mess. And I think everybody across the spectrum would would agree that everything is in a mess at the moment as far as the government is concerned. She initially came out really hard on Twitter, but this is what is so strange about it and how this government seems to make its policy at the moment, or rather everyone's freelancing, aren't they? I don't get the impression there is a coherent sort of expression. And the Dean Joyce came out on Twitter, announced the policy through a tweet on Twitter, um, (laughs) saying basically that the next licence fee settlement would be the last that thus hinting pretty heavily that they would not, you know, we wouldn't have a licence fee. Um, The annual um, TV licence fee is currently £159 until April 2024, which requires cuts of the BBC in itself, will then rise in line with inflation for the next four years. She seems to have watered down her suggestions, uh, you know, the initial hard suggestions. And there is, as it says in The Guardian here, raising suspicion that the focus of her provocative intervention on Sunday was to destroy from Boris Johnson's woes mm. I I get the impression I, I mean so so addressing the point at hand that you've asked me to there has to be the BBC as an organisation is both vital and incredibly wasteful so, yes. so there, yes. has to, there has to be I mean we, we can both agree on both mm. those points I think so there has to be a way in which the BBC can better rationalise and work out how it how it pays people and, and the stuff that it produces I've, I get inc- I can see why the BBC tries to play the star signing game I can understand that I can understand it has to have formats that it can sell worldwide to bring in income and that is a commercial way of doing things in a way that's to be lauded isn't it rather than necessarily solely relying on government funding i do i think that's a good thing having said that i get frustrated when so parts of its arts programming that aren't necessarily you know get huge huge figures but you don't necessarily get elsewhere as good as you get at the at the bbc and which the bbc with its public sort of inform educate entertain rethian sort of mission statement literally exists to do i will never ever stop being cross about the cuts to late junction on radio three which is a, a program which was on three nights a week for a couple of hours each time late at night and the idea was is that i would hear stuff on late junction that i would not hear anywhere else and i'd hear a mix of things that i would not hear anywhere else it would play music that was very much on the margins it would play folk it would play jazz it would play classical it would play really interesting things they they announced that they were going to cut it to one night a week and there was a an enormous protest lots you know 500 musicians of various public profiles signed a petition saying don't you know we don't want you to do this and it went ahead anyway the arena strand of documentaries which i think everyone will probably be familiar with even if you haven't watched them if i tell you that the opening sequence is a brian eno tune with a bottle floating on water with with the oh. with arena in the thing we all you know lots of people know what that is and it's a strand that has existed for you know over 50 years and not often but you know there will be occasionally be a program 
the bro- the producer that was in charge of it retired in 2018. They they did not. They said, "Oh, it will continue." How many episodes of Arena have been made since 2018? Oh dear, I fear the answer. None. So yes. um, so you know, cutting by by stealth. I can see why the BBC is trying to to do to make certain decisions to, but it just seems so scatter sort of a scatter shot really. Uh, so so we've got this situation where, and I think we're going to go on to talk about it. It's bringing BBC Three back onto terrestrial TV, having previously got rid of it. And I can see why they've sort of made that decision to sort of give a you know to get to give an audience to serve their young person's audience. But then having said that, it's going to cost money to bring it back, isn't it? So I would rather that they spent money on programming they did on hugely overinflated salaries of senior executives that is a better way to spend their money i do think that the bbc as a service offers extraordinary uh, value for money in the amount of the amount of content it produces and the amount of stations etc that it has then having said that there have been huge cuts to local radio and local journalism which again is a vital thing that the bbc has provided to an extent that many places don't particularly given the collapse of local sort of newspapers compared to how they used to be so it's a tricky one I don't quite know but then having said that I don't take anything that Nadine Doris or this current government says in good faith so so whilst I whilst I think that the future of the BBC needs to be rethought I don't think the government is doing this in particularly good faith they've made multiple complaints about it, go back to the freedom of speech issue. They've made multiple complaints about, you know, how things are covered on the BBC, and you know, and I, I, I don't trust this government. So yes, the BBC does not get everything right and gets quite a few things wrong, but equally, I, I do think we need it, and I don't trust this government as actors in it. I feel the BBC is still run as it was. 50 years ago perhaps even 100 years ago but 50 years ago it only had one external tv channel itv to live with and i'm not even sure who the bbc viewer or listener is anymore it isn't really me i rarely listen to bbc radio maybe radio three but i even more rarely watch any bbc television for no other reason than there's nothing to entice me in the the, the kind of um philosophy of um Mrs. Brown's Boys, EastEnders, shouty game shows, not for me. I, I know that's a generalisation, but yes, there's, there's an awful lot. Yes, there's much more lot. to it than that, I think. In tandem with those concerns, though, and this is a point um, you indicated, we still have BBC executives with a pension pot of over £6 mm-hmm. million. Pounds. That's you and me paying that. That's, yeah. that's, that's not, there's no government money. There's no BBC money. That's, that's you and me giving one BBC executive a pension pot of over £6 million pounds and an annual retirement income of £216,667 for life. These issues just go on. And when you, when you, you have these issues, um, Many people are justified in asking why they're paying for TV shows they don't watch, radio stations, especially local radio, that no one listens to, but paying millions for generally useless executives' retirement funds. And that won't go away. This is the great Mm -hmm. problem you've got. And I think you indicated that, that there may be an argument for saying, you know, let's keep the BBC, let's, you know, treasure it for the uh, its heritage and everything it brings us. And, you know, some people will disagree when they say, but oh, I love BBC Radio Devon or, you know, and I love Mrs. Brownfield. Of course, that's that that's fine. And in that sense, it's good value if you only had to pay 100 and 
whatever it was pounds but you can't get past this other side of it where they they are massively overweight in terms of management if only in terms of the money and resources that goes into it and all those other issues that you quite rightly said we can criticize it for so this point about saving the bbc from the need dean dorries of this world gets lost in mm-hmm. that other appropriate noise of the bigger issue of bloated executive salaries, money wasted here, there and everywhere, moves to uh, other cities at huge costs and that nobody wants to go to. That becomes, unfortunately, the narrative. Well, it does, I suppose. Having said that, you can make the pensions arguments against members of the government and members of the House of Lords, I suppose. You certainly can. That doesn't make the BBC one wrong, though. No, exactly. A wider picture that we're paying for. Exactly, exactly. Maybe, maybe a subscription service is, is the way forward. Yes, I don't know. I but so. um, I but it's, you know, it's, it, it's, we'll see what happens when it comes down to it. But um, yeah, it's um, having said that, the thing about moving to various different cities, mm. I do think in that sense, and BBC is not the only broadcaster to do that. Channel 4 have done done similar thing. They're sort of damned if they do and damned if they don't on that. Because if they don't move to other cities, they get accused of being London centric. Mm. And if they do move to other cities, then my view is if London people refuse to go, maybe local people can get jobs there. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. But let's, um, just, let's move on to the BBC Three thing, if we may. Three, yeah, sure. BBC Three, yeah. Amazingly, it was six years ago when you and I discussed the move of BBC Three from normal yes. linear television. It feels which, like which feels which feels yesterday. much longer, and yet yesterday at the same time, doesn't it? Really, like it like from, timing generally. In a normal linear television to online only, as you said um, earlier, more or less killing it off, to be re- to be fair. Now, at a time when the BBC is being encouraged to save money, BBC Three was relaunched and returned to linear television this week. Its target audience, it tells us, it seems, 16 to 34-year-olds, so we're outside its remit. But isn't there also an inbuilt problem here in that many 16 to 30 16 to 34 year olds and certainly on personal experience um the the lower end of that scale in my life they simply don't watch regular tv Mm, it's interesting isn't it although do they do they not watch regular TV because they don't, or do they watch not watch regular TV because there isn't something for them on TV? I don't, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting mm. to see what happens. BBC Three had a real, it was a real sort of um, a bit like how BBC Four was when they gave it money to be anything other than an archive channel. Um, it's um, it, the, the stuff that it's brought to us previously. Um, even even when it was online, I mean, uh, normal people was a huge hit in the first lockdown. Um, it also brought us Killing Eve. It also brought us Fleabag. Um, it's brought us, um, uh, you know, perhaps uh, less high quality reality TV programs. Eating with my ex and my favourite yes. secret pleasure, Don't Tell the Bride, which is one of my favourite <laughs> Formula Eight programs on TV. It, it, it is the same program every week. You always get the groom spending all of the. Can budget. I give you a statistic, and then I will promise I'll keep quiet and let you um, answer this in full. But I just, it's, it's very, yeah. very relevant to what you're saying. When Ofcom approved the return of BBC Three, mm. it became known that the BBC had doubled 
its budget for the channel, which feels like one of those inexplicable decisions taken by a body that often seems unaccountable. And I'm certainly no BBC hater, but this feels like a whole lot of money being on a spent on a channel that no one will watch. Well, let's see. The proof of the pudding will be in the eating, I think. I'll be interested to see if spending the money does. I mean, I can understand your cynicism, but let's see how let's see how it works. Let's see what happens in practice. You never know. I mean, it's lots of the BBC's programmes that were breakout hits, even Gavin and Stacey, which turned out to be a huge, you know, sort of huge earner and a huge uh, viewership uh, thing started off on BBC three. Who knows? Let's see what happens. Let's let's see. Let's see which way this goes. Just a quick point on that. See, see I agree with you. These are great um, reflections on the BBC. But the fact that it was put on BBC three, that was just a, a, a channel to bang it on, uh, to, to, to put it rather, um, you know, basically because when stuff is commissioned at the bbc um it's not that oh this will be a perfect fit for that channel it tends to be well this has been commissioned which channel will suit it it best so i don't think it particularly reflects well on bbc3 saying oh you know, we're responsible for all these programs it reflects well on the bbc which then pushes it out through a particular channel mm. i mean i don't think we particularly say oh well mrs brown boys is a great hit so that reflects fantastically on bbc one it just <laughs> happens to be that's the channel it's it's on having but, said that they, the channels do i think to some extent have an identity the bbc mm, yeah boys. good point. so so yeah. so that so yeah and i think those it fits channels, in with the, the the sort of feel yeah, of a yes of channel, each yeah. channel and i think that there are people i'm one of them and i think there are more of me so i don't think this is just me being strange who will watch a particular bbc channel of habit as of habit so so i like the stuff that is on bbc4 so my telly is usually mm. on that which means i'll usually switch it on to that same with bbc2 there's often you know threads of things that i particularly like so i do think some channels do have an identity and i think that that particularly for channels that are a little bit more specialist in what they want to do like bbc4 like to some extent bbc2 and like bbc3 if you can establish a channel sort of identity mm. the channel brand there is still an audience for that i think that's a very good point thanks very much for listening this yes week. thank you i'm sorry that we didn't get joe rogan on as a guest maybe next time <laughs> <laughs> now jules like bbc3 have you doubled your budget for your sunday radio show i mean that implies that i had a budget in the first place which is <laughs> is really not necessarily true um i'm doing my radio show again this week as terence so kindly alludes to smooth sailing which is a, a wander through very relaxing and uplifting music nothing too challenging for a sunday evening 7 to 9 p.m live on my mixer channel which is mixlr.com forward slash juliet hyphen harris or just go to mixer.com and search my name there's a show reel button on my page which you can listen every time I, I finish the show it then gets uploaded to that so you can pick your way through the various shows um of which there are many i think i'm on like 76 or 77 now for smooth sailing so you can you can sail away to your heart's content to play us out, Jules, a novelty, an accessible song written by Lou Reed. I know. I mean, I, I know that it is hard to believe, but yet here we are. I found one thanks to. Um, so I don't regularly use Spotify, but I do use Apple Music, um, a.k.a. iTunes. And they have this habit now of when you press play on a song 
it just on its own not on an album they will throw things afterwards that that they think will fit in with what you like and i was trying to remember what i played to get to this i think it might have been get back or something like that and and this came on and i wasn't familiar with it i really like the velvet underground and i'd never heard this song before and i think it's great and there is a beatle link i suppose and that the beatles also had a song that had this title so so everything always leads back to the beatles around these parts and this is no exception uh, this is the velvet underground and this is what goes on
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. And definitely no hard feelings towards Joni Mitchell. I love her too. I love her music. Chucky's in Love is a great song.